0: in with us. If you got your Bibles, open up with me to the book of 1 John. We're in a series we started three weeks ago called Verified. And it's all about verifying that we are followers of Christ. And so uh, we're going to be stepping into that area. You know, before we do, you know, listen, uh, school has started back, kind of. You know, it's a little crazy right now, isn't it? You've got uh, you've got this virtual learning, and you've got in-person learning. You've got people, teachers, trying to do this at the exact same time. And I know we have teachers all throughout our body. And uh, I just want to tell you, listen, I know, I know it's a difficult season. I know this is a difficult time for you. Uh, you're trying to manage all kinds of things. And as a teacher, you care about your students, and uh, you may f- be feeling tension in all kinds of different directions. You, you know, parents aren't happy, kids aren't happy, teachers aren't happy, all right? And uh, I want you to hear me say, we love you. We are praying for you. In fact, I want to do that right now. If you don't mind, I want to take a moment and just pray for our teachers. Whether you're a teacher, you're an administrator, you, uh, we have bus drivers. We have people who, in all aspects of education. And right now, it's It's weird. And so I just want to pray for you. You, Some of you are two and three weeks in. Some of you have been four weeks and you're feeling it. I see uh, husbands going, yep, I got you. So let let me pray for us. right? Let me pray for you. Uh, Father, I love you. I thank you for the teachers that you've given us. Father, I thank you for the influence they have in our community uh, and in our county. Father, whatever form of education they've stepped into right now. Father, they are being stretched and pulled and it is, Lord, you know the tensions. And I ask right now that they would find rest in you, that Father, they would be able to know that uh, they are your children, that you've given them influence. And Father, I would ask that you would help them to be creative. I pray, God, that you would help them to be able to uh, rest in the fact that they are loved children of you and that they are not their job, You've given them a spot, but their identity is not in their job. Their identity is in you, and that you would help them to be able to walk that out in a way that would honor you and magnify you. I pray for calm in their home. I pray for peace in their spirit, and I pray that their influence for your your kingdom's sake would, would be felt in their classes, and it's in the name of Jesus we ask these things. Amen. You know, school has started back, and that means test, right? Uh, In whatever form or fashion it is, there are tests that are happening. Um, And tests are good. I hate tests. About the only other thing I don't like more than tests is getting the grade from that test and seeing it. Whoever said that uh, what you don't know won't hurt you did not see my English exams, all right? and uh, But they are very, very important because what tests do is they verify what it is that you know. They help you to understand, do do I really know this material? Do I really understand? Am I really where I think that I am in this progress? Well, listen, that's true of us as followers of Christ many times. I've shared with you the last couple of weeks This this series is really important to me because I counsel people all the time who claim to be followers of Christ, who are followers of Christ in many instances, but they struggle with, do I really know Jesus? Do I have assurance that my salvation is sure? And I always take them to 1 John because 1 John is all about being sure. John has given us diagnostic questions. He's given us ways that we can look and see, are we truly followers of Christ or are we faking it? Are we fakers? And you know what? Many people don't even realize they're fakers. They don't realize that until they begin to go and they begin to look at what does the Bible have to say and how I live that out. Oh, wait, maybe I'm not truly a follower of Jesus Christ. And so he's given us over the last several weeks ways that we can begin to verify. You remember week one, if you've not watched or been a part of this, I'd encourage you, go back over the next couple of weeks and you catch up. But in the week one, we talked about how people who are verified followers of Christ, they know Jesus, they've been changed by Jesus, and they're committed to the people of Jesus. Last week, if you were here, you remember we talked about people who are verified followers of Christ. They run from the darkness as the scripture says. They run from darkness, and they walk in the light. Well, today, John's going to give us three more. He's going to give us three more ways. And, and we're calling them tests. There's going to give us three tests that we can look at to understand, are we verified as followers of Christ? The very first test, and I want you to write this down. We always talk about the big three, your Bible, your journal, your pen. We tell our kids that. I want you to have them. The very first thing is this. Is we're gonna talk about the doctrinal test. And the doctrinal test is all about what do we believe? What are we trusting in? Do what we say we believe, is it verified? So, with that, let's start reading. And 1 John, we're gonna start in chapter 2 today. Chapter 2, we're gonna go through verses 1 through 11. I'm gonna read verses 1 and 2 though. So, you read along with me. My little children, notice he's speaking like a grandpa. Grandpas can get away with saying a lot of things, can't they? You're gonna see that in just a moment. Rodney. My little children, I'm writing these things. I'm not far behind, Rodney, all right? I'm I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. I want you to underline that, advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I want you to underline that. Verse 2, he is the propitiation, Circle that word. He is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So here's John. He's an old man. He is the bishop of the, church of, of, of the churches in Ephesus. He is there, and he says, notice what he says in verse 1. He says, my little children. He says, I'm writing to you so that you will not sin. Now, listen, he's already told us at the end of chapter one, he says, if you claim to be without sin, he says, you're a liar. You're a liar. That's pretty strong words. You can say that when you're a grandpa, all right? But he says, you're not telling the truth. So what he's not saying, what he's not saying is that you can be sinless. What he is saying to them here is, I want you to sin less. I want you to sin less. As a follower of Christ, we should be sinning less. Listen, I'm thankful that, that um, football season's back in, all right? It may not look like it has looked in previous days, all right? Uh, stands may be like a quarter full, maybe. They may be empty. The Titans, they're not. nobody's going to be there through the month of September, but we get to watch football every quarterback, every time he goes out, every time he drops back to throw a pass. His goal, what he wants, what he desires is that his pass would be a TD. He wants it to be a touchdown pass. Uh, every quarterback worth their weight, that's what they want to do. Now, we know that's impossible. Not every pass is going to happen. Not, I mean, they're going to drop the ball. He's going to misfire. But that's his goal. Listen, as a follower of Christ, as a true follower of Christ, you know what our goal should be? Our goal should be not to sin. It should be not to sin. Now, you and I both know we're not going to be sinless. We're not going to be able, that's not going to be possible. Though we are no longer slaves to sin, the scripture says, we're no longer slaves to sin, we're still dogged by our sin nature. Because as long as we live in this old flesh, this broken down world that we're in, we're still going to sin. But the question is that this is what? How how do we think? What is it that we believe? What are the tests that we can have to help us know? Because we have an enemy that is very, very real, all right? His name is Satan. And I don't want to... That's not just a fictional character that pops up in a horror movie. We have a real enemy named Satan whose job, whose desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. The scripture says he is a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And he is coming after those of us who are followers of Christ. And he, he wants you to doubt. He, he wants you to not be secure. And this is why This is why John wrote this passage. So the very first test is the doctrinal test. But to help us in verses 1 and 2, he gives three truths that I want to quickly hit. He gives three truths that I want to quickly hit because I want you to see them. The first one in in verse 1, truth number one, is that Jesus is our advocate. Did you see there when he says, he says, we have an advocate with the Father, and his name is Jesus Christ. You know what an advocate is, don't you? An advocate is a lawyer. He's someone who stands and defends you. So if you're going to court, this, you want a good criminal defense lawyer. Well, the Scripture helps us to see that very rarely, there will be a day when we stand before the Father. We stand before Him. Kyle will stand before Him. And the great thing is, is that I have an advocate who will be there with me. Jesus Christ, but there's also an enemy Satan, the enemy. And every day, I want you to hear this, every day he stands to accuse the father about me. And if you call yourself a follower of Christ, that enemy is accusing the father on behalf of you. But let's just take me. And he's standing there and he says, he's not a follower of yours. Listen, he's committed murder in his heart already. In fact, he's even committed adultery in his heart. He is greedy, he's prideful, he's slanderous. You realize, don't you, that before any sin breaks forth, it's given birth in the heart, right? Jesus said, listen, you've heard it said that if you about don't commit adultery, I tell you that if you've even looked on, on someone in lust, you've committed adultery. And the enemy, he is accusing us before the Father. But the scripture says we have an advocate in Jesus because God is just. Because God is just. He is righteous. Uh, sin can't come before him. But we have a just judge. We have an advocate who is standing there and he says, you, he's right, he, he has done all those things. But God... I laid my life down. I died on a cross, and Kyle has submitted his life to me, and he's covered by the blood that I shed. And so you can extend mercy to him. You can extend grace to him, not because of anything he's done, but because he's found righteous in me. Listen, guys, that is, is huge. It's huge. You see, when we sin, the enemy's attacking us. And he's saying, you ain't a believer. Why did you do that? You realize, don't you, that again, I'm going to keep saying this. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. It's about, are you walking towards Christ? Do you look more like Jesus tomorrow than you did today? More like him next year than you do this year? None of us are ever going to be perfect. So when we sin and the enemy is accusing us, we have to be reminded that, no, I have an advocate, Jesus, and I am under his blood. And do you realize that our Savior, Jesus Christ, the scripture says he is before the Father today, and you know what he's doing? He is making intercession on behalf of you and me. He is praying on behalf of us. God, he's with me. He's with me. She's with me. So the scripture says, truth number one, if we're going to pass the doctrinal test, that we have to know that we have an advocate. Number two, here's the second one, is this, is that Jesus is qualified because he is righteous he's qualified to be our advocate because he is righteous. Jesus is righteous. That's truth number two. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake, he, God, for our sake, God made him Jesus. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. You realize Jesus was sinless, right? He made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, when Jesus died on the cross, he absorbed the wrath of God. He absorbed the wrath of God. He paid the penalty of sin for me. When I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, he took my sin And it's placed on Jesus. God put it on Jesus. And then because of his death, he gave me the righteousness of Jesus. That's huge. So when the enemy is attacking me, when he's attacking you, we know that we have an advocate who is interceding on our behalf. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his righteousness. Because you realize our righteousness is as filthy rags, the scripture says. We can't do anything. There is nothing good in us. So it's only the righteousness of Jesus himself. You realize if Jesus, if Jesus had sinned, do you know whose who sin he would have been paying for? His own. But because he was the sinless, spotless lamb who lived a perfect life, He went to the cross. He went to the cross and laid his life down. And that leads to number three truth. The third truth is this, is that he is our propitiation. He is our propitiation. Now, that's a $100 word right there. Ladies, that's probably not coming up at the bunco party a whole lot, is it? Guys, you're not talking about that with your buddies around the football game. You're not using it but it is a word that we have to know. The word propitiation, I want you to, uh, hopefully you're gonna write this down. That's a clue. This is important. It means to satisfy. The word propitiation means to satisfy, to appease. So it means that Jesus's perfect life, when he went to the cross and he sacrificed his life, I want you to hear this. He laid it down for us. It wasn't taken, it was laid down. He laid his life down for us. The scripture tells us that he was the perfect sacrifice, that he was the propitiation, that he satisfied, his sacrifice satisfied the wrath of God. Folks, I wanna tell you, this is what the sacrificial system of the Old Testament is all about. When they would bring bulls and goats and they would sacrifice them on behalf of sin, it, it didn't, that, that bull and that goat did not satisfy the anger, the wrath. All it did is it caused it to be passed over for a period of time until the scripture says, you remember when you read in the scripture and it says, at the fullness of time, at the fullness of time. Do you know who came forth? Jesus, born of a virgin. Thank the Lord Christmas is coming, huh? And he lived that life and his life, his sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. In fact, Hebrews tells us, Hebrews tells us that the blood of bulls and goats could never satisfy, could never satisfy. It took Jesus. Jesus' perfect life was the perfect satisfaction for the wrath of God so that I have confidence. Jesus, I trust you. I trust you. You, what I couldn't do, you did. Your righteousness, thank you. You are interceding on my behalf. Folks, I'm spending a little time here You know why I'm spending a little time here? Because this test, the doctrinal test, is pass-fail. It's pass-fail. There is no grading on a curve. You can't get a B plus and go, yes, you either know him or you don't. And here's my question today. Who are you trusting in for your righteousness? Is it you and your good works? Is it you and your good works? The scripture says, we talk about this each week, Matthew chapter seven, the end of the passage, the, the last that Jesus closes out his, his most major sermon, they're gonna stand before him, he says. There's gonna be those who will come and they'll stand before me and they're gonna say, didn't I go to LifePoint Riverdale? Didn't I go on those mission trips? I, I served in the nursery, I gave all this money. And for me, who I'm trusting in Jesus, my advocate, the scripture says that he's going to look at them and say, Depart from me. I never knew you. You trusted in something very different. You trusted in your own works. You trusted in all kinds of things, but you didn't trust in me. That's why, listen. When the enemy comes, I'm trusting in Jesus. He's my righteousness. Yes, I fail, but you have no power here, Satan. And we run back to Jesus, and Jesus, I'm yours. The doctrinal test is huge for us if we want to be sure of our salvation. Number two, got to run through these now. Number two is this. Here's the second one. The second test, see, our... The doctrinal test leads us to the moral test. This is all about how we live. Our morals and how we live, are we progressively looking more and more like Jesus? uh, Theological terms, that's called progressive sanctification. I look more like Jesus next week than I do this week. You see, what we believe, what we truly believe should dictate how we live, the scripture tells us. Read with me in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 6. Beginning in verse 3, it says this, and by this, we know. Remember from week one, I told you, we well, are going to hear the word know a lot. Circle it, circle it. By this, we know that we've come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. I told you, grandpas can say a lot of things. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected, and by this we know that we are in him. Verse 6, whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. John's not saying here, hey, this is how you be saved. If you do the right things, then you become saved. No, he's saying, listen, because you were saved, this is how you are to walk. You see, this is all about now that I follow Jesus and I've trusted in him, I've trusted in my advocate, in his righteousness. Now then I begin to walk as he walks. Notice what he says in verse four. Verse four, he leaves no confusion. No confusion. We can't say, I don't really know what this means. Verse four, he says, if you claim to know him, but you don't do what you're told, you don't do what he tells us to do. He says, you are a liar. He used those same words at the end of chapter one. He says, if you claim to not have sin, you lie and you make God a liar. And now he says, if you claim to know him, but you don't do what it is that he's called you to do, his word is not changing you. Your lifestyle doesn't look more like Jesus. You're lying. You're you're lying. That that, that strikes at the core of us, doesn't it? I mean, that strikes at the core. This, this is why it is an incredible test. Do we love what Jesus loves? Does my life look more like Jesus each and every day? Or how about this? Does my life look more like His today than it did last year at this time? Or do I still just do the same things? No change, no Jesus. Listen, it is progressive. We should look more. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. Are you walking in the way of Jesus? And John's only echoing what all of the New Testament talks about. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says that grace leads to sanctification. Romans chapter 8, Paul says that, listen, justification leads to sanctification also. In James, James says, without faith, your works are dead. Without faith, your works are dead. Jesus said that if you really love me, you'll obey me. My commands are not burdensome. And then John comes in and he says the exact same thing. He says, if you know him, you're going to obey him. You see, we can't say that we know him and then not walk like Him. We can't do that. So if you're not walking like Him, you have to go, if you're not passing the moral test, you know where you need to go back to? You got to go back to the doctrinal test. Do I trust Him? Is my, am I trusting in Jesus? Has my heart been changed? So hear this. If today you're struggling, the place to start is, do I believe? Who am I trusting Okay, I am trusting Jesus. I've surrendered my life to him. Now then, how are you walking? Does my life represent what it is that it says, who I say I believe? Uh, The famous chemist, there's a man named Henry Schaefer. Schaefer was a famous chemist, still is, as a matter of fact. I don't think he has passed away yet. Uh, He is well quoted, he is one of the most cited chemists in all chemistry modern day. Uh, he, early in life, he is a follower of Jesus. Uh, his, his testimony is, is that growing up, he grew up in a nominal Christian home. Uh, a nominal Christian home is basically what we might call cultural Christianity. Jesus didn't really make a difference in the home. They didn't follow the war. They just self-identified. Okay, They just identified. He, he recounts a story that he remembers sitting and talking with his dad as a young man, like a high school, I believe, if I remember correctly. And as he was talking to him in their conversation, he said, Dad, the Bible says this. And Mr. Schaefer said back to his son, I know what the Bible says, but it's wrong. Schaefer, by his own testimony, says, It was at that day that I said, I'm not gonna be a follower. If my dad says that he believes this, but then he also says that it's wrong, I'm a Christian, but I don't follow what the, t- then I'm not, I, there's no way and it says that he walked away. Years later, when the Holy Spirit opened his eyes and he came to faith in Jesus Christ, as he grew, he began to realize, and he writes, and he says this. I want want to make sure I read this. He says, it wasn't Christianity that wasn't real. It was that my dad wasn't a real Christian. So the question today is not just Who are you trusting in for your salvation? The the second question is also, who are you believing in? What are you believing in? What does your life reveal about your beliefs? Is your life lining up? Are you passing the test of saying, I believe this. This is who I am. Does your life reveal that? Does your life reveal that? The third test is this. The doctrinal test, the moral test, the third test is the relational test. It's the relational test. And this is all about community. What does it look like for us as a community? Do we love one another as a community? Do we love each other as brothers and followers of Jesus? Look what he says in John chapter, 1 John chapter 2. Start reading verse 7. He says, beloved. Now he just said a minute ago, my dear children. And now he says, beloved. I love you. He says, beloved. I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is the new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Remember, you're hearing this language, light, darkness again this week. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. What was it we talked about last week? Verified believers, what do they do to darkness? they run from it. And he says, listen, if you hate your brothers, if you say I walk in the light, but I hate my brother, he says, you're walking in darkness. He says, you're walking in darkness. Listen, over the, over the many years, in fact, some of you older guys, some of you, uh, most of you may know some of these songs. You remember the, the band Foreigner? They, they wrote a song about love. Do you, you remember what it was? I want to know what love is. What about Tina Turner? Tina Turner wrote a song about love. What's love got to, got to do with it? And then the great theologian, uh, Bon Jovi. You give love. Oh, yeah. Listen, any of these songs literally, in some ways, could have been about followers of Jesus. Took you a minute, but you got there. Do you remember who First John, the Apostle John, the one whom God loved, do you remember who he's writing this to? The church. To us. And he's talking about how we love. How we love. Man, it is so sad today to watch, to read, to see how we treat one another. Listen, Jesus said, they're going to know you're my disciples by how you what? love one another. How you love one another. And the scripture here says, listen, if you say you hate your brother, if you say you hate your brother, but yet you're 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 trying to walk in the light, something's not right. If you say I walk in the light, but I hate my brother, something's not right. Folks, this is so very important. See, it's easy to give lip service, is it not? Oh, yeah, I follow Jesus, but my life doesn't look like it. In fact, my words don't line up. When John's speaking here, look at verse 7. Verse 7, he said, this shouldn't surprise you. This isn't a new commandment I'm giving you. Now, what he, what he is talking about there is, or we, what he could be talking about is all the way back to Moses, where Moses said, listen, the greatest commandment is that you love God. So that's a, that, that could be a new commandment. He says, listen, this is not a new one. You've been hearing this for a long time. You've been hearing this for a long time. In fact, uh, he could have even been talking about himself because he was described as the apostle of love, the one who loved Jesus loved him, and he loved one another. He loved other people. So he could have been, hey, guys, listen, you've been hearing me bang this gong for a long, long time. You know, all pastors have gongs they bang, bells they ring. Some, it is evangelism, 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 evangelism. Some's discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. For us as a church, we, we talk about sending and sending and sending. For me personally, it's always going to go back to the word. You hear me? Somehow, I always want to circle back to the word. How are you in the word? Do you know the word? Because listen, as a follower of Jesus today, you've got to know the living word. You've got to know what the written word says about the living word, and how to live so that we can be a good sending church. So I'm always going to bang that gong. Okay, I'm always going to bang that gong. But you know what? Today. I think our world is a little bit concerned, or I say confused, I should say, about what love really does look like. In our day, in our day, love wins, right? And, we, and, and when love wins, the definition that you always hear is that we're kind of, oh, we just overlook, you just don't don't rock the boat, don't, you know, you just kind of be quiet. You just smile. Mm. Listen. By that definition, and I think that's a false definition, okay? I think that's a false definition. In fact, Jesus, uh, I think this is part of that whole, yes, it's an old commandment, but I'm giving you a new commandment because I believe that Jesus redefined what love was on the night before he was betrayed. When he took off his outer robe and he got down on his feet and he washed the feet of the disciples, he set his own agenda aside. He set his own. In fact, that was his agenda, was to serve his people, to come alongside them so that they would see this is what real love looks like. Folks, listen, in our world today so often, we're about me, my, mine, I. When real love puts the needs of others above my needs. It's about serving, not being served. In fact, if that were the definition of we just sit back and we just let people do and listen, just, hey, I'm going to keep quiet. Jesus himself, Jesus is love. And what did Jesus tell the, the Pharisees? He said, you brood of vipers. You're whitewashed tombs. Peter. On the day of Pentecost. He said, listen, Jesus was crucified by the will of God, by the foreknowledge of God. He knew it was planned from eternity past, but you Jews, you're the ones that murdered them. Paul would never be classified as being loving when, he, when he's speaking to the Roman church and he says, hey, listen, homosexuality is sinful and it's unnatural. Some of you just went, "Ooh, you got real tight but I want you to hear this. This is truth. The word of God is true. And the most unloving thing we can do as followers of Christ in a body is to watch someone in our body destroy their life because they say they follow Jesus, but they're not living what the gospel is all about. This is why today, this is why the last several weeks, we've been talking about you, we, me, we need to be in groups together. If they're on campus, if there's women's groups, if there's men's groups, if there's small groups, we've got to be in relationship with one another. Because if you don't have the doctrinal test right... The next two, the moral and the relational, it ain't gonna matter. You gotta get the doctrinal thing right. Once you've settled the fact that Jesus is my savior, he is my Lord, once that's been settled, listen, for you to live out what you to believe, for us to be in community one with another, that's where our groups are so important. So that our lives are rubbing up against one another. And people that I don't necessarily know or people that I, listen, we're different. What we typically do is we group up with people that we know and people who are like us, right? Isn't that what we typically do? Got a little close, I guess. I don't know. Nobody's agreeing about that. But that's what we do. John, after this, was given a vision in Revelation. Revelation 5, Revelation 7, Revelation 22. And he said that he was able, the Lord allowed him to see the throne room. And you know what he saw in the throne room? He saw people from every tribe, every nation, every language, every tongue around the throne of God saying, holy, holy, holy. Now I want to be really clear. Verse one talked about Jesus being the propitiation for the entire world. I want you to hear that. John doesn't say that he saw the entire world. It doesn't say he saw every language, every tribe, people, and all of those. This is all about those who have surrendered their life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, there's going to be people from all languages, all tribes, all tongues gathered. You know what? That's why we want our body to look like that, this body. That's why we want our small groups to look like that, so that we look like what the throne room is going to look like one day. Folks, that's why I'm calling you today. Would you get in a small group? Would you get in one? Maybe get into a class that meets on Wednesday night. Our women's ministries out here. They've got, they've got groups starting up. Men's ministry, once a month, we have a, a thing called GRIT. I don't know what it stands for, but it's GRIT. <laughs> Men, I want you to get into it. We have men's groups. We have small, uh, Brian Smith and Kurt Wagner are gonna be right out those doors helping people get involved in groups today. Get involved in a group so that we can walk alongside one another. Listen, let me ask you this. Three questions. Who are you trusting for your salvation? Is it yourself? Or are you trusting in? Jesus Christ alone. Christ alone. Who are you trusting when it comes to what you, what you believe and how that affects your life? Is it what the world says, what internet, what Facebook says? Or is it what the scripture speaks of? Who do you surround yourself with? Would people who look differently than you say, yeah, they love me? Or are we so insulated that we're not ever around anybody? We're not even in in groups today around people that look like us. Listen, it's no wonder that we don't know how to live out the word. It's no wonder that we don't know how to love one another. As a body, I'm calling you today to trust Jesus and only Jesus. I'm calling you today to take his word and only his word and to begin to learn it and practice it. I'm calling you today as a body to be together in community, one with another. Jesus, I love you and I magnify you. I thank you so much for this community. I thank you for how you're growing us. I thank you for how you're changing us. And Father, I pray that today, if there's someone in here who does not know your son, Jesus Christ, God, if there's someone who doesn't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, Holy Spirit, would you call them? Would you open their eyes? Would you save them? Would you give them courage to respond? God, I pray that if there's someone in here or some several ones who, yes, they've trusted you and they need help walking this out, Father, I pray that you would help them today to jump into a group, not struggle alone, Jesus, you are are who we love. You are who we want to follow. We want our lives to look more like you. And though we fail and we stumble and there is an enemy, we know that you stand there to pick us up, to run to us, and you advocate on our behalf. Thank you. That is good news. Today, I, I want to tell you how I'd like for you to respond. Because we all have to respond. When we're confronted with the word, we have to respond. A couple of ways. One, you may, you, someone may not know Jesus, and I want you to come talk to me. Or you can text the word Jesus to that number, and we will talk with you. But I'm going to be at the back, and I want to meet you. want to help you know. Kurt will be there. CJ will be there. Brandy will be there. There'll be others. We want to help you know Jesus. Maybe today you need to step into a group. Would you go see Brian Smith, Kurt Wagner, step into a group? Some of you out here right now, you need to go, listen, I am a follower of Jesus. I want to lead a group. I need you to step out and lead a group. Some of you in here today,